Okay. Hello, and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby. Today is, I guess, I'm giving you two desserts on a plate before we even give you a main because I have two amazing behavior, habit change, all mindset. Well, I guess, meant me- like the mentality behind everything that you do and how to create sustainable change. But not only that, marrying it with the fact that if you want to get results, and keep them, how you get those results is the most important thing. So with that, I have Benjamin, Ben, uh, Ben Mayfield-Smith, and I have Dalton Frank back for a second appearance here. And I guess a way to have you both kind of introduce the way that you, you view this stuff is to talk a little bit more about how not only motivation itself, but types of motivation mm. plays such a pivotal role in mm. initiating and sustaining change yeah. and how our expectations, mm-hmm. how our awareness and how our perception in itself plays such a big role in not only the results, but in our initial stages of change, which I would argue are probably the most important because how you start a journey can dictate what happens next. So true. Love it. I'll leave Ben to take it away because we've had a chat already, Ruby and I. I'll let Ben to start warming us up, but uh, I'm ready to dive in once he's finished as well. But thanks for having us Yeah, back. let's do it. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Firstly, um, obviously, it's always a, a great time for me to to ramble on this stuff. It's what we, it's what I'm at uni for, so I love it. Um, and it's definitely a very uh, humbling experience or moment for me to be on the podcast with Dalt, as we've talked about already, that you know, we've always gone on podcasts as like athlete and coach. So now to be on here as like someone rambling shit alongside him is always very, very fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. So I guess like when it comes to like my, my approach to motivation or motivating a client and seeing where we are, like it's all, it's all going to depend on the client journey and why they're coming to me and where we're starting and kind of what they're hoping to achieve, how I motivate or coach or, or keep accountable a client that is looking to me for lifestyle change, lifestyle intervention is very different to the client that I take through a prep, though not extremely different. They're not so much alternate pathways, but uh, sorry, uh, destinations, but rather the pathway is slightly different. Um, a lot of the time, and I, I've, I've spoken about this when I did my presentation in America and it kind of like almost blew minds, which kind of surprised me and realized how much it actually doesn't need to be talked about mm. is the way I coach my bodybuilders isn't much different to how I coach my, my lifestyle life change clients, my behavior change clients, because I'm still building the same intrinsic. I'm still building the same fundamental and base routines and, and systems. It's just that the, the extremity gets a bit more extreme. No surprise. The the clients that are trying to get to the three percent body fat mark don't have the room for error. That say someone who's just getting to you know basic lifestyle change, basics like uh, uh, behavioral modifications, they have that room and that variability for error that your advanced athlete doesn't. So the basis to me when it comes to that motivational identification is actually pretty similar. Um, but if we go back to I guess like the client journey, that onboarding it really starts for me to get a a hold of that motivational understanding with why they're coming to me. What is the goal? What is the reason for the goal? What's the direction of the goal? What's the values behind that goal? Because all that starts to dictate an impact on their intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. And our goal, I strongly believe as coaches is to derive as much intrinsic love for the behaviors we're trying to fix as possible and elicit that from our client. Mm -hmm. Though we're not, you know, the, we're not the, 
perma motivation, which I think me and Dalt will probably agree on this, is that people synonymously mistakenly use motivation for inspiration. We are not the inspiration our client needs. We're there to facilitate and extract the motivation as intrinsically as possible. Mm-hmm. So that to me starts when we lay down the foundations for our goal setting. So a big part of the process for us is what I call my, uh, like a matter method to goal setting, um, which is a, a, uh, five year, three year, 12 months, six months, three months, and 12 weeks, oh, sorry, uh, six week um, spreadsheet predicated on your values and then broken into your priorities. And then from there, I want to see that broken down between your your personal life, your business or career and your physique goals. Mm-hmm. Because that then to me tells me that your overall or your overarching theme or the superordinate goal that we have is progress. Mm-hmm. If I can get you striving towards progress in all aspects of life, Mm-hmm. then I can have you associate the positive emotions and the positive experience as intrinsically as possible. Mm-hmm. And we can start to connect that, I guess, that pathway to success and result as intrinsically positive as possible. Mm-hmm. If one of those things to me lapses, I start to see decline in the client performance. Mm-hmm. So if I've got someone who's got absolutely dick skin shredded and they've got first place on, on stage or something like that, but their life has collapsed, mm-hmm. my belief is I've failed as a coach. Mm-hmm. So to me, the... The role, I guess, of a performance coach is to improve and optimize performance. We are performing in every aspect of our life. So to me, that motivational job, for me, the motivation is to elicit the highest degree of performance in all aspects of their life and all areas of their life, which then result in success. So if I can get them to that that motivational level where they love what they're doing and they love the way that we're doing it and they love the overall progress towards life that they have, I'm doing my job and they have got that the intrinsic motivation seems to come forward a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that to me is like how I kind of derive and approach motivation from my client. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we'll use things like, I mean, Dolph both did Gary uh, for our behavioral change and motivational interviewing. So, you know, we go through like looking for change talk, looking for that, uh, you know, that, the progression through the chant trans theoretical model, mm-hmm. making sure that we're looking for that, uh, the, the positive moving forward language, making sure that we're, correctly engaging as a coach to elicit that that more intrinsically loved uh, Socratic goal, like mm-hmm. to get to the deeper reasoning, get to the deeper meaning and make sure that the client is connected to it as deep as possible. Mm-hmm. That to me then is like, if I can do that in not only your physique goal, because well, anyone can get lean, that's not anything impressive provided that we do it in the right way. But if you can get lean, you can improve your relationships with your family, with your friends, your career goes, improves as well. You increase your education and you mm-hmm. build your business or your business is growing alongside of you then there is an intrinsic love for life that you have, not just your physique. And that to me is like the ultimate motivator. Mm-hmm. I want to shoot you some questions before Dalton speaks in. There's, do you find that lifestyle clients come to you comparing to a bodybuilding world? Because that seems to be the expectation or it's, is your goal even your own? And then bringing in the performance, being beyond the gym, seeing like how can we then feed that into seeing it as a way to create more of a super glue? And shift and like a super glue to shifting your identity, which in itself is the core of change. You need identity change. Mm-hmm. And then bringing in that last aspect of lean, when people think lean, they also have an unrealistic idea of what lean is mm-hmm. in the real world. Like they think lean is nothing in your what nothing on your body is allowed to jiggle. You're made out of wood. Mm-hmm. You're like this skeleton where nothing at all can be pinched, can be rolled. So where do expectations fit into that, which is something Dutton can probably feed off after too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so going back to, to expectations and to, to clients come to us expecting they have to be bodybuilders. 
we've actually we actually had to do some content on this because we had a few of these uh, these case scenarios or these these study um case studies kind of come through mm-hmm. and excuse me what i got to the bottom of was i don't expect all clients to be bodybuilders but rather what i do is i take from bodybuilding as a discipline and i encourage behaviors that i know are successful and lead to long-term success in a client on the stage and try and implement them into a client now that's not to say you've got to be three percent body fat but rather how can I look at this? And this is like a, a philosophy that matters had the whole time. And that is how do I look at those who are successful in elite worlds and teach the average person to be it? Because to me, I believe there is another level that people can operate at that we're not quite getting to in just general population. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, hey, you've got to be a six times a week gym girl. You've got to track every macronutrient. You've got to you know, weigh out your food. You've got to weigh out your water. You've got to do all these things. It's more so what are the, what are the traits and skills that good bodybuilders have? They've got goal orientation. They've got positive language about themselves. They've got delayed gratification. They have time management. They have self-awareness and they have intensity towards what they execute. So how do I get that to my average client who just wants to improve life and you know look better, move better, be 60 and not have to be stuck by a chair or, or a, a crutch or something like that? So when I get those clients in, they're like, oh, you know, I don't actually want to be a bodybuilder, but I want to kind of get some of the progress. Well, isn't that bodybuilding? Mm-hmm. Like. We're bodybuilding, but taking away the the stage side. You're improving body composition. You're training to improve muscle mass, skeletal muscle mass, and bone density. You're improving overall appreciation for nutrition, and you're learning about how to train with true intensity. And we're going to do it over a period of time where we give you phasic approaches so you can learn about how to cut and grow and maintain, you know, high calories, maintain low calories, be in a healthy body fat range, improve health markers and blood markers. Isn't that just bodybuilding? So. It's not so much that you you want to be a bodybuilder without competing. Sorry, it's not so much that you have to come to me a bit to be a bodybuilder, but we can take that identity of the traits that go with a successful bodybuilding prep and kind of teach people how to use some of it. It's like, what do the bros get right and how to implement it? Some of those things they got pretty well right when it comes to like the, the bro-ness. Um, as for the narrative, I guess identity shift, it is a very big part of how I approach um, you know, something that I'm lucky enough to have gone through sports psychology, performance psychology is McAdams through layer model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very powerful tool for having people understand their social narrative and how they create the story that they tell the world as who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone who's been an athlete most of my life, I've had severe injuries, chronic injuries, disabilities that have sort of impeded upon my narrative. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn how to reconstruct my story, reconstruct, reconstruct myself mm-hmm. uh, as to how I talk about myself in, in scenarios and in, in the world to the world and learning how to do that with clients is a very powerful tool for change of behavior. One of the issues I found that I use uh, some traits from REBT is challenging someone's perceived uh, thoughts or rational thoughts about themselves. You know, where it's like, I, I actually had this conversation recently with a client. They came to me with, um, you know, I'm an absolute all or nothing drinker. And I said to him, I was like, okay. And she's not gonna have any issues with me talking about this because she talked about herself. Um, she had a Christmas party coming up and she's leaving, changing schools as a teacher. And she was like, you know, if I start, I won't stop. And I was like, okay, let's, let's play this out. You know, where else in your life have you uh, been more balanced or been uh, more controlled? And, you know, there's a variety of places like the way she raises her children, uh, her finances, where she's bought houses. I'm like, okay, so we have success in other areas of your life where being more main, maintainable and balanced in your approach has resulted in success. So you've just proven to me by looking at your own history that you're not actually all or nothing. It's just your language and narrative around this particular topic that is, oh, when it comes to drinking, I'm all or nothing. I was like, now you don't have to drink if you don't want to, but if you also want to, it's perfectly okay. 
mm-hmm. provided let's just work on changing the 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 cognitive reappraisal linguistic reappraisal of how you describe that scenario mm-hmm. again challenging that narrative and creating a different narrative of yourself in that situation mm-hmm. and she basically messaged me the next day and she was like i felt really proud i know you're not big on being proud of the basics being done but she's like i went out to this party uh, to the Christmas party, I didn't drink. I had the option to drink. I chose not to, and I woke up and did my meal prep and got on with my Saturday. Now, mm-hmm. you don't have to be that neurotic about it, mm-hmm. but the fact is, rather than punish her for being like, "Oh, don't go to this party stuff," you you're, you're an idiot. It was more so you're a grown adult. You have the choices. You've told me you're all or nothing. I say bullshit. Mm-hmm. I said to her, uh, you know, if your if your children came to you and said, "Hey, I'm either all into my homework or I'm not doing any homework," what would you say? She's like, "That's an absolute cop out," and I just, you know you know, challenge that and have them actually do their homework and do something. I was like, so why are you letting yourself off with a standard that's better than your children? And she's like, oh yeah, that's a good point. And so once I challenged that and gave her that narrative sort of reflection, she was like, holy shit, you're right. And, you know, that kind of led to her challenge that narrative. So again, the one of the key points I find to behavior change, especially to people that come to me with not so much neuroticisms, but at least internalized identities that they've been told they have or they've been diagnosed with or given is a lot of the way they describe it is in the language of describing themselves that kind of hooks them in. Mm-hmm. Challenging that and giving them the ability to conf- confront that narrative and the identity they've created tends to result in them looking at that from a different angle and changing the way they approach it. And then it's just about encouraging them to continue to do that when those scenarios come up. Um, and uh, I, I missed that ramble. I missed your third question. What was the third question again? The third one, <laughs> the third one was on performance is beyond the gym and how seeing that can create more of a super glue to shifting the identity oh yes 100% absolutely um you know like a big thing like I was saying before in life is that we perform in every aspect of our life we like people like think that you know gym stops like a you know training lifestyle change modifications like oh well I went to the gym three times I train a little bit harder and then it stops that's that's where I'm done it's like well you know you Sure, that is that's a progress. That's a step forward. That's you know we're moving forward in the right direction here. Let's reflect on that. Perhaps you were someone that was doing one session every two to three weeks, and your performance in the gym was like very mediocre. How about we can get that to two or three sessions? Let's get that going. Sure, but then it's like you know what disciplines can from that can we modify and move across to other areas of your life that can show promise and progress by implementing those tools, like the discipline of training hard, knowing what failure is, knowing how to push yourself, knowing how to challenge challenge your limits, challenge your beliefs. You know, I'm not someone who can lift heavy. I'm not someone who can lift to failure. I'm not someone who can do X, Y, Z. Challenging those things and and driving them home in other areas of their life. Well, what happens if you then apply that to your studies? Well, let's let's push your studies to failure. Let's see what happens when you don't go to bed when you're tired. Let's see what happens if you turn off the TV and just don't get into distraction. You know, all those areas where you're challenging the belief and you're challenging that that performance narrative. You realize like, and this is why why it was one of my favorite quotes is that you perform in every realm of your life. You perform in every aspect of your life. That's why I'm so big on teaching my clients to fail first, fail hard, and fail early. If I can get you to a failure point in your early training career, then pulling back your RAR and worrying about all those like those those uh, nuances becomes a lot easier and more manageable because they know what that performance aspect is like. Mm-hmm. Trying to get someone to nail their uh, you know one RAR, two RAR, or what have you, and they've never trained before is a waste of time to me. Mm-hmm. I would rather get you to failure, push your ass hard, mm-hmm. see what that performance is like as a skill. Because then it just goes like I straight away can add that to the rest of your life. Let's look at, you know, what does it look like if you go out and challenge, you know, have KFC or takeaway that night. Okay. How to make you feel horrible. I woke up bloated and fatty and I felt gross and discomfort. Okay, cool. So do you want to have takeaway every night? No, I feel crap. Okay. So we can reflect on that. You know that you can perform better with your nutrition, just like you perform better in the gym. Mm-hmm. 
now we start to see that process performance orientation coming through where we can really mm-hmm. motivate people and go, all right, you know what? You don't have to have shitty food every single night. Yeah. Just like you don't have to train once every two weeks, like an absolute pussy, you can actually get into the gym and train hard. Well, can you not, you know, be nutrient hard? Can you not train, you know, rest as hard as you train? Can you not diet as hard as you train? It's not about being neurotic about like, oh, meal prep everything away, everything out. It's like, you know, let's take some of these skills and apply it to your nutrition. Mm-hmm get some basics down, have more lean proteins, have more plant-based matter, have more grains, stop having as much processed food. Fantastic. Now we've got the ball rolling and you're realizing the performance in your nutrition, in your rest, in your sleep, in your lifestyle, in your stress management, in your sex life, in your family life. All of that is going to impact your performance in the gym as well. Now we've come full circle in the fact you realize that performance is just continual. I love that. And I'm going to add something onto Dalson. Dalson, mm-hmm. with everything that Ben just said, something that he brought up a lot in there is not only purpose and Mm -hmm. the fact that performance is about a skill Mm -hmm. and getting better at skills, which require failing, but it's also very predetermined on you need to do, you need to be, you need to feel. It's not just based on, okay, let's just perform Mm -hmm. and get an outcome. It's perform and improve Mm -hmm. because it life is just all about improvements. But the thing that I wanted to post to you is, I here's an example I have someone who's struggling to get any consistent change and when we had a conversation which brought bring in the keyword awareness mm-hmm. she realized that through motivational interviewing she realized that she feels she needs to see big changes and make big changes in order to get results it's the only way that she feels it's worth getting results mm-hmm. and very before that before I did the questioning she was like I feel like life is just way too full on. There's so much going on. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. The only thing I can do is drink more water and try to make better food choices. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so isn't better food choices and focusing on drinking more water than you are, making room for more change and making positive changes. And that was when she had the aha moment. Mm -hmm. But also bringing into this, it's not good enough to say you want to improve your food or you want to do X activity. You need to break it down so that you have parameters and specifics. Otherwise you're aiming at nothing. And that is something that I find really difficult to hone into clients because they're very vague in the way that people usually say, Oh, I'm eating healthier. Like mm-hmm. you need to I'll get towed up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you need to get so specific mm-hmm. if you want to be able to then measure that and get better at it. Because you could say that you failed that last week. But it's like, mm-hmm. what did you fail? You said you wanted to eat healthier. Mm-hmm. You started doing this, mm-hmm. but you didn't do these other things. What was your definition of healthy? Because you can't act on something that isn't clarified. Sure. Yeah. No, and I love all of that. And before I dive into those, because they're all aspects that I just like, I really want to, to say something here. <laughs> I think um, to summarize for the listeners and people that are watching what Ben was talking about, right at the initial aspect uh, to determining all the things that he was talking about there is the context determines the content. So the context of your situation, the context of what your goals are, the context of what we're looking at doing together will determine the content. And so when we're thinking about these things here, we're always looking and trying to expand and understand. And so the more you can communicate, the more you can clarify, the more you can um, reflect and analyze, the better that everyone, all the coaches here can help you out, but you know, your coach in whoever, whatever other relationship that you've got there, Um, because that is how we determine these things. That's where all this stuff comes from. It doesn't really just come from us just knowing better. It's a, like a journey of discovery together. And so 
to summarize Ben's like amazing spiel is the context before the content is a really nice, easy way to think about it. And I love what you were just talking about there, Ruby, with uh, the, the aspects of targets, the aspects of criteria and the aspects of clarity. And this is something that we spoke about on the last podcast, but a nice, easy way that I like to think about it, or at least uh, use for my clients is I was in the army years ago. And one of the ways that they taught us to like shoot was not to shoot at a target, but we were to shoot at a line in the target, right? We were to aim in the very middle of it and aim for this like very specific line that crossed over where our um, uh, like crosshairs would match up with that. And we were taught to aim small because if we aim small, we miss small. And so I try, like to translate that same idea to making my goals, making my actions, making my decisions that I have or with my clients so tiny, so narrow, so specific that I know exactly what it is that I'm trying to get out of this here. So that that way, then I define the criteria for what that looks like so that when I am doing stuff, I have ammunition to either say, right, I didn't do X, Y, and Z. Um, and so it's not a vague failure of I wasn't healthy. It was I didn't eat 20 grams of protein because that's how specific we can get in terms of the calories, macros, and stuff like that as well. So I did, as an example, but Ruby's so spot on there with that that question of uh, we can't, it's very hard for us to determine actions and follow through with actions without that clarity. And so um, how and Ben raised it. I don't know if anyone heard it, but he he talked about Socratic questioning, which is this idea of asking why or reflecting on the question or the statement and stuff like that he was, uh, that was being made. He also spoke about the um, ability to reflect and uh, understand or like peel back, maybe not always a why question, but a what or a how, or just continually trying to go levels deeper. And so if anyone's listening to this as a coach or anyone's listening to this as a client and you know your coach is maybe speaking to you, what they're trying to get out of you is a deeper understanding of where this statement comes from because if we can understand a deeper experience of that we can then figure out and determine if this is something that is in like uh however we want to approach the change right if this is something that's psychological bound or if this is something environmental bound whatever kind of model we want to use and so um some great examples of ways to understand that is socratic questioning like we spoke about on the last podcast and ben raised it here but for those that are listening that's uh, where you take a statement and you ask why you repeat that statement back. So like, I want to lose five kilos of body, or like five kilos. Why do you want to lose five kilos of body? Well, because that would mean that I get to lose five kilos so that I can weigh less or put on smaller clothes or something like that. Okay. So why is putting on smaller clothes important to you? Because mm -hmm. if I put on smaller clothes, that means I feel more confident in myself. Okay. So why is feeling more confident important to you? Well, if I don't feel confident, I make poor decisions. I tend to not care for myself and I don't value the things that I'm doing and therefore I really don't follow through with the stuff that I'm doing. See how I start to like really dig out and pull out answers and stuff. This is just made up, obviously super easy example, but we all have that stuff. And the, mm -hmm. the cool thing is like, even if you're wrong, if you do this to yourself, if you're guessing this yourself, we naturally as humans don't like open loops. We don't like open or incorrect statement. We want to fix it. So if you say to yourself, I don't think I am self-confident or I am very self-confident, you'll feel weird saying one of them and you'll be like, that's not true. And we don't like it. We want to correct it. And so naturally let yourself correct it and figure it out along the way, take stabs at it. And coaches can do the same thing. 
And so that even just a technique like that helps you get deeper and deeper and pull apart the actual underlying reasons and stuff like that. And the deeper stuff that we're trying to get to there is a lot of the stuff that we're, Ben and I love to talk about, which is this behavioral change facilitation. It's all understanding all of these slightly deeper levels of thinking, how those connect into stuff like self-determination theory or goal setting theory or whatever it is that we want to talk about here. But it's understanding the the perspectives, the ideals, the values, and the the things that we actually care about on a deeper level, and helping us cut through the bullshit so that we can figure out what's the fastest way to make a change when it comes to those things. There, another thing that you did ask Ruby was the idea of how do I help clarify that or get out um, uh, something around values. And so I was like, oh, I wanted to talk about values. I can't remember the exact question, but. I can speak about values as well, which is essentially oh, compassion and empathy. And I think you said not just performance, but how do you feel and stuff like that, right? Yes. Um, and so that's a, a really big thing that I love to teach through um, a type of counseling style called acceptance commitment therapy, which is basically just the idea that we all fuck up. We all stuff up and we do things bad. And instead of us trying to like wrestle with it or change it or you know belittle ourselves for it, it's rather saying, right, I want to accept what I did, not be complacent and give up on myself. Acceptance isn't complacency. Acceptance mm -hmm. is saying, right, like I understand this from a separate view. I'm not judging myself for the action or the choice that I made. And I'm going to have a think about what that, why I did this or what this looks like. And can I do something about changing this? Yes or no? It's a non-judgmental, non-biased way to do it. And if you can learn to do that, we become less reactive. And a lot of the time we're reactive to things because we've just got so much stress going on in our lives that, or overwhelm or heaps of shit that just, you know, work life, kids, everything like that, trying to like take, occupy our thoughts that as just a reflex, we are primed to react in a way so that we don't have to actually think about it or process whatever's going on. But most of the time we're reacting, not because of whatever occurred there, but because of something else that we're not addressing in that moment. So learning how to practice acceptance and commitment therapy helps bring in this aspect of mindfulness, which helps us bring in this idea of understanding what's going on presently in that situation, not trying to say, right, I can't deal with this, work's too busy or whatever, I'll think about this later, um, and really just addressing it here and now and saying, right, okay, what can I do about this? Was this my fault? Was this not my fault? Um, what can I do about changing this? Yes, I can do something. No, I can't do something. And that's it. Not I'm a failure because I didn't do this thing and everyone's going to hate me for it or whatever and I should run away or whatever. But simply curiosity-based observations of what you've done in a way that's like kind and compassionate. And that's hard. It's not easy. We all have been taught to beat the shit out of ourselves. We talk to ourselves like we're the worst people in the world. The way that we would talk inside of our heads, you would never, you would never let someone else talk to you that way. And we do it to ourselves over and over and over again. So it is a, a skill to kind of learn. And it's something that Australians really just don't have to do well. And probably a lot of other cultures as well, but Australians, especially, we have like the whole poppy syndrome where we cut ourselves down and we don't like to stand out. And there's um, a lot of aspects where we're suppressed on, on that. So we have to really learn to be, do this in a way that we feel comfortable with doing it so that we can address what's going on in that moment not try and put it off later and deal with it, have that putting it off impact our behaviors that we're trying to change on this and make the whole process like eating better, training better, sleeping better, a completely ruined process because we can't deal with the stress that we've just had accumulate that will forever accumulate. It's not like we can ever get rid of it. Um, yeah. Did I answer the questions? I think I did. There is so much more I want to throw at you. <laughs> and I might throw some more back at you before we go back to Ben, but something mm. you said before I go into questions is, it is hard, not easy. And there is a part in my Team Ruby introduction 
that I share them a podcast that I did off the spiel where I was thinking, hey, people online make it look easy because the people that are online are people that have been either doing it for ages, but who Mm. in their right mind shows Mm. their startup, shows their failures, or even thinks that their startup Mm. is going to lead to something greater because your goals evolve and you Mm. should evolve with them, which is actually something I want to talk about later. So pin that one. Totally. I love that. You should allow your goals to evolve with you. And Mm. what I was going to go into with you that you said is, the goal setting, it's really important to know what, mm, are mm-hmm. right, what are the right types of goals to set, which I would say. Yeah, that's a great way. Mm, great yeah, question. Because right, cool. progress, process goals are, pro- like I always say, you will never get to an outcome by wanting the outcome. You'll never mm-hmm. get to the outcome by focusing on the outcome because mm-hmm. there has been nothing stated that will get you there. There is no bridge there. You can mm-hmm. want the destination all you want, but unless you know how to drive a car, Get in a mm-hmm. car, do the tests that you need to do to get your learners, then your mm-hmm. peep later, then your peep later, and all the crap that happens in the other worlds. But you're never going to get there mm-hmm. without the initial stuff, without the foundation stuff. And mm-hmm. then something else you said was about people falling back into that automatic reaction state mm-hmm. because yeah. we react most of the time. So mm-hmm. updating your default settings and baseline mm-hmm. habits is so important because of that. And I always say you can click your fingers and get to your dream body composition, but you're never going to maintain it because what's going to happen then? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you could click your fingers, fix all the behavioral, habit, habitual, mindset, thought mm-hmm. processing, all that kind of shit, fix all of that, and then leave the rest to drive and you'll get to where you want to be and you'll stay there. Yeah, it's a longer process because now that we got rid of all the bullshit that's holding you back, you mm-hmm. have to actually do the work to get there. But mm-hmm. if you just get there overnight, you're going to find yourself back to the start. So mm-hmm. what is the shortest process after all? Yeah. I'm sure yeah. that I hope you're asking um, this. No, that's, that's some great questions there. And I'm sure I'll miss some, but like I, there's a few I things that definitely jumped out at me. Um, and I, I really love that, that the idea of identity and understanding the, the process of where we're going. Um, I think I, I would challenge and like I tried to not reiterate to my clients that rushing to it to to whatever behavior that we're trying to get to to the end goal as fast as possible is not ever the the quickest way to do something because we've seen in the research that none of those ways end up being sustainable mm-hmm. for the long term and so whilst it might initially get you to the target of that goal quicker uh, the like whatever time period that we end up comparing it to the longer way to go about that proper behavior change ends up winning out and you sustain that so if where you visit people like this 12 months time, five years time, 10 years time, those that have done the actual behavior change work or whatever have sustained their goal for years. Whereas the other people are just, you know, potentially chasing it and chasing it over and over and over again, being there for short periods of time, but hating themselves for it every time they do it and kind of doing that cycle over and over again as well. Um, Wait, something you just said, hating themselves for every time they do it. This is something that a lot of people don't realize is that every single action you take has a tax. It has mm -hmm. a cost. And Mm. if you're doing things that continually prove to you that you fail, that you suck, you're Mm -hmm. only increasing the tax that you will have to pay back on your lack of faith in yourself, your lack of belief in yourself. And then what's that going to cause down the road? You're not going to have the patience to do the process you need to do the right way because with all this time passing, Mm -hmm. you're feeling further and further away from your goals. So you're going to want to rush it more. It's human nature. Totally. Yeah. So that's like such an important part of this process is understanding that the effort that we put in isn't a direct outcome or reflection of the the results and stuff like that, that we will get. But 
the results that we get can increase the amount of effort that it feels like we're putting in. So we can continue to arbitrarily increase that amount of effort. So if we fail or if we do something that's hard and hate ourselves for it over and over again, every action that we take after that ends up feeling like it takes 5, 10, 20, 30 times more effort, mental effort to try and do this. And the way that I try and imagine this is like this idea of having either a, a, a motivational debit card or bank account or something like that where you've got 100 motivational points or something like that and everything that you do you're spending those points on on actions throughout the day and stuff like that when on the choices that we make that don't sustain the goals that we're trying to do and don't address the the actual um, behaviors and try and just address the symptoms tend to cost more and more and more over time and everything else outside all the stuff that we're trying to like actively work on we can spend that money on but we also everything that we do in our life from that as well that tax idea like Mm -hmm. you were talking about there so just doing anything else is taxing away at that and before you know it the effort for you to meal prep or something like that might have just been 10 motivational points but uh, at the start of the week but at the end of the week after all the shits happened and you failed out a few times it might become 15 20 30 you know motivational points and you end up not having enough credit like that to spend again over time and so it becomes harder and harder and so we end up creating this disparity between the actions that we're trying to do and the perceived effort that it, it takes for this because the brain it doesn't have a receptor for these things it literally our, how our brain operates is through references so it's like when when was i trying to do something last time okay how hard was that all right prepping to be fucking dick skin lean on stage is so so hard am i willing to do that again no i'm not okay well i wanted when i was dieting and doing that this like i got me results but it was you know this like 10 out of 10 hardness or whatever like am i willing to do that no i'm not so fuck it i'm not going to do anything because it's not worth me putting in that amount of effort to get the the actions or whatever completely misunderstanding that the reference that our brain is comparing it to completely different time completely different context and completely different situation for it but that's how our brain operates it tries to convince us that the actions that we're trying to do will have a um, a misconstrued amount of effort that we're trying to get to achieve this. So subconsciously, we're going to feel this resistance to wanting to do those things. Um, and so that can lead us to these points where it's like, you know, I don't want to do this because it feels harder than it actually is. And that's where all these skills and all these tools and strategies that we've been talking about already help out with with this, you know, challenging those beliefs and helping reframe those ideas and using motivational interviewing and ambivalence calling and stuff like that to help them understand these, those processes and all of those aspects there to overcome that because but that's like the the really the deeper mechanics of what's actually going on is that this that gap and the perceived effort between that thing is happening over and over again and our brain is just referring to the time we were successful at it and that's the the hardest thing with the prep industry is it fucks everyone because every time they try and diet again afterwards they can only compare it to like with their prep especially if they only do one prep because that means they never get the experience to the second time to realize it is like a hundred times easier the second time to prep than mm-hmm. the first time. The first time to prep is so scary. You have no idea mm-hmm. of what's going on. Your brain doesn't know how to comprehend what's happening. And so everything, you feel everything at a hundred percent. And even like, like if you have some like psychological skills and you could probably reduce this down. But in my experience, Ben's probably the only coach out there that's doing that properly because I still talk to all these coaches that just don't fucking know. And they, I'm seeing the same shit happen that used to happen at like Flex Success or same thing happen um, with uh, like other companies and stuff like that. Like uh, Denver, great guy. I love him and stuff like that. But I don't see enough motivational stuff around those things to help it out. Or um, you know, And so nothing wrong with their approaches. Their approaches and stuff like that are great. And I'm sure Joey Cantlin would be the, one of the same ones as well. I'd have to chat to him, but I haven't for a while. 
but all those guys, excellent prep coaches, know all the stuff when it comes to those things. But I don't think most people have an understanding or an awareness around psychology like we do to get to the point to help out the athletes like that. And so all we do have is skills and strategies to help eliminate all the psychological bullshit that happens to make the results consistent. That would be tracking calories, macros, water, sleep, blah, 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 like recording all this stuff, right? Micromanaging your life to get those results. Insane amount of fucking effort that you put into doing something like that. And our brain has no idea what's going on. Our body's freaking the fuck out because we've dropped down in so much body fat that leptin's through the roof and trying to make us hungry all the time. Hormones all through the roof. And we hate ourselves because we're like oh, too fat, too fat, too fat. And then we're all of a sudden lean and we're like, wow, I'm starting to look good. I feel shit. Everything sucks, but you know, I'm starting to look good. And so it's this really confusing time because everything is overwhelming. And so the, after you do that prep, even if you, you know, don't place or whatever, like you've achieved literally one of the hardest things ever to be done by people. But if you never try and do that again, you only ever have this comparison of how ridiculously hard that activity was trying to do that. Now I could scale any learning behavior like that, you know, from not doing it all the way through to a prep because it would kind of fall along that, along that line there. Uh, most aren't as hard as that. Most are a bunch easier, but that's how our brain works, right? Is we compare to the time that we were trying to do it. Semi-successful is fucked because it means when we stuff it, like what we stuff it up, we're like, I don't want to do, you know, that 50 points worth of motivational stuff to, to do this task or whatever, because that's too much. It's going to cost too much. And we're forgetting that, like we're at the start, like, things that we're trying to do, the actions that we're trying to take cost one point, but we're imagining because the last time that we had the comparison for the thing was, you know, all those extra points and stuff like that as well. And so we end up kind of having this misconstrued perception of what we're trying to do, making us feel hopeless and helpless. And we can't actually do anything about it when not the case at all. Okay. I'm going to throw a lot at you, Ben. So can we do this? <laughs> <Let's dance. laughs> uh, uh, let's do these in chunks so that I can like, okay first different things in here because there is a lot so <laughs> yep. something Dalson just brought up at the very end which is really important is we try to pick up where we left off mm-hmm. and then we have misconstrued perceptions of how it feels or how easy it should feel or what it felt mm-hmm. like or the fact that oh I did this before I've been doing this for x many amount of years this should come easy now that I'm back on mm-hmm. it but like that's the perception that so many people have if they've Maybe they went really hard before they got some amazing outcome. Maybe they laid off for a little bit and then they're getting back into it again. They expect to just pick it up from there and everything will just be as easy, mm-hmm. even though it's many years later. And the way the body responds, your body doesn't just get put on pause. Things happen in that. And then feeding into that aspect is that we tend to only remember the good stuff, the things mm-hmm. that went well, and we tend to think what was good is subjective as well but Mm -hmm. memory isn't reliable for this and Mm -hmm. can even be said with the realities of losing weight before like say if you went on keto and you lost weight before or the realities of getting lean if you prepped once in your life before and you're picking back up again all of that fed into what I just said and then I can go into the next part yeah so getting getting like into I'm trying to just break down the questions (laughs) um Hit me again. I'm just having an absolute fucking mind blank. Jesus Christ. So we so tried to stop where Dot point. Trying to run 5Ks yeah. after taking 5K time, like six months off or whatever and going under. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that person. 
hundred percent there in the way you described that it's completely right. People think that like things are easy. It was easy at the time when I did it or like I've prepped before. Um, you know, we have this recollection that that is the, it's, you know, whatever the last experience we had was experience we're going to have again. Right now, one of the biggest problems is, is life. Like you described the body doesn't stay still, right? Like the body doesn't stop. Time doesn't stop. But in saying that also you like life doesn't stop. You like, just as your body doesn't stay, just pause and stay where it was. I'm like, Oh, you got to 3% body fat, but you don't want to prep anymore. Well, now it's, we're staying here until you go again. Life doesn't do that either. So when people go based off the like, you know, last time I prepped, I was 25 living at mom's house and I was having no bills and, you know, I was eating whatever I wanted and I was doing 20,000 steps a day and, mm-hmm. you know, I was on clan, trend, var and test. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, now you're 31 with a child and a job and a business and a career and, and you're at university or you're doing an upskilling course or, you know, you've got a, a husband to think about or a boyfriend, a, a wife to think about. Those things, as Dalt was describing, those all become those psychological taxations on your body that last time you prepped didn't happen. So now you've got this misconstrued idea that that I should be just as good as this as I was last time. And now that it's harder, I'm a piece of shit because it's not coming off as easy, right? Like I've got this idea that it should just be flowing off me, that the weight should be moving. But the reality is, even when you look at comparison, and they have social comparison theory. People talk about like upstream and downstream comparison. And they also look at selective comparison. So, you know, don't compare yourself to other people, compare yourself to yourself. Mm-hmm. But even you as a person are no longer in that same period of time where you were, where that thing was established or achieved or successful. Now, that doesn't say that it isn't successful. You can't do it again. It's just that what it's going to take to get there is vastly different to who you were at the time when it was successful last time, right? Like that you can't rely on the same fuel of motivation. You can't rely on the same goals. You can't rely on the, on the same life uh, circumstances and environments because all these things have changed physiologically, psychologically, environmentally, all of these aspects uh, become, you know, completely different to what got us successful. And as you kind of alluded there, alluded there uh, before is that moving on from that is that your memories don't play fair, they're not going to be, you know, like they're not going to help you out when you think they will. They're not going to be your best friend. They're not going to help you achieve the job like you think it will. When we go through things like an aggressive cut, your body, like you're you're so deprived of fuel, of energy, of, of energy, that most of your system shut down. So that was that part of this podcast. And you will be hearing the next part next week. There are three parts to this. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a lot out of it. And you will be hearing from us three next week.